Now, uh, we've got an opportunity now for any primary uh, uh, school-aged children uh, who wish to go to uh, Sunday school um, to, to go out to their class now. But you don't have to go out. You can stay with, with your mum or dad or care if you wish to, but if you'd like to go, uh, this is your opportunity to, to, um, uh, to go to that Sunday school class. And um, if you've lost your place or if you've only just arrived, um, may I encourage you to have open in, your, in front of you the, the passage from the Bible which I'm going to be speaking from this morning, which is Acts chapter 2 and from verse 22 onwards. So that starts at the bottom of page 1081 and then goes over the page to 1082. Uh, if, you, if you haven't got a Bible in front of you, there are other ones around on the pews, so do grab one uh, if you need to. Uh, so page 1081, 1081, um, Acts chapter 2 and verse... 22 and uh, let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to consider his word now. Oh Lord God we do want to thank you for this opportunity to consider your word. We pray that you will please help me to proclaim your word clearly, truthfully, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray also that as we consider your word this morning, you will speak to every one of us and you will cause us to hear, to understand, to, ex- to believe and obey your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, some of you will have been here a few weeks ago when we were looking at um, verses 22 and 23 of this reading. And you may recall that uh, Peter was addressing the crowd which had gathered on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. People had heard the sound of a great wind. They'd seen tongues of fire come down on the heads of the disciples who were gathered in the upper room. And they'd heard them speaking in all sorts of different human languages by the power of the Holy Spirit, talking about, speaking of what God had done through Jesus Christ. And they were, they were amazed. They couldn't work it out. So Peter had stood up and Peter had explained to them that this was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that God would pour out the Holy Spirit upon all people. And 
Then he had spoken to them about the death of Jesus. And we were thinking two weeks ago about verses 22 and 23, which you've got down at the bottom of page 1081, where he said these words. Peter said these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And we were thinking two weeks ago, why did Jesus die? And we saw that through those verses, we see three reasons, or three things. We learn three things about the death of Jesus. First of all, we saw that Jesus did not die because of any sins of his own. Peter says to the crowd that Jesus was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. Jesus did many mighty miracles. If Jesus was a sinner, God would not have done these great works through him. And his own disciples had testified that he'd never sinned in the whole of his life. He didn't die because of any sin of his own. And then we saw, secondly, that from a human point of view, Jesus died because men hate God. And that comes out in verse 23. Jesus, Peter says, this Jesus, he says, end of verse 23, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless Men. The people of Jesus' day crucified Jesus because they hate God. They hated God and they hated the perfection and the righteousness that they saw in Jesus. And we learn from this that this is description of us. Because in our natural state, we hate God. You hate God. I hate God in our natural state. Because we are sinners. We're rebels against God. And it shows us just how sinful we are. But then we saw thirdly that Jesus died according to God's plan. Verse 23, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was God's great plan and strategy to save sinners. God knew that men would sin. And he knew that men 
and women would be incapable of paying for their own sins. So the father and the son worked out this great scheme between them to send the son into the world to make a sacrifice which would pay for all of the sins of all those people who trusted in him. So although Jesus died according to, because of men's wickedness, in fact, without realizing it, people fulfilled God's plan that he'd had from the beginning of the age to send Jesus into the world to make a sacrifice which would pay for the sins of those who trust in him. Now, so that was two weeks ago. We were thinking about why Jesus died. Now, today, of course, is Easter Sunday. And traditionally, on this day, each year, depends. the actual date depends on the timing of Passover, which depends on the moon. But around this time of year, Christians have particularly remembered the resurrection from the dead. Now, it seemed to me, therefore, that it would be good and sensible to this morning to speak to you from what Paul, what Peter goes on to say in the rest of that speech on the day of Pentecost. Because having spoken about Jesus' death, Peter then went on to speak about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he spoke about how this is something which definitely happened. And he also spoke about the implications of his resurrection from the dead for his hearers. And so... Uh, it seems to me that this is a very good. It seems to me this would be a very good passage for us to consider this morning. Now, why do you need to listen to what I'm saying to you today? You need to listen to me. You must listen to me, because this passage shows us that Christianity is based upon fact. It's based upon what actually happened. There are so many people who say that Christianity is a myth that Christians have invented to try to make them feel happy. They talk about those who believe in Jesus as doing a leap into the dark. You know, just hoping that it's true. They talk about Christians indulging in wishful thinking. And I'm sure that on the TV there will have been programs, because there are these programs every year, where they try to debunk the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead. They try to make out that it's all some sort of something that, that Christians invented. But no. This passage tells us that Christianity is based upon the hard historical fact of Jesus' resurrection. It is those who do not believe in Jesus who are believing myths. Those who put their trust in Jesus are those who are facing reality. 
who face the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection and have responded appropriately. This passage also is very important. This, what we're thinking about this morning is also very important for every one of us to listen to. And I do hope you'll listen very carefully because what this passage proves to you is that you are going to meet Jesus one day. You are going to stand before Jesus, the judge. You are going to have to give an account to Jesus for your life. And Jesus will decide whether you go to heaven or to hell. But this passage also shows us that you can be saved from going to hell through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. So please do uh, whatever you might want to do the rest of this day. Please give me your, your attention, your ear for the next half hour or so while I bring to you what this passage is teaching. Now we're going to divide what we, what we consider into two halves. First of all, proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. And then secondly, what that means for you and for me. What the resurrection of Jesus means for you and for me. So first of all then, proofs of Jesus' resurrection. The first, and we, come, we, have, we have actually four proofs of the resurrection of Jesus in this passage. First proof is this. That the resurrection of Jesus happened in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, if you were here earlier in our service, you will have, you will have heard me read from Psalm 16. Which, as we saw then, as I explained then, is a uh, messianic psalm. And what that means is it's, it's a psalm which, which predicts in advance what Jesus is going to say. And Peter says in verse 24 of our reading here, God raised him up, Jesus, he raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus could not stay dead. Why could he not stay dead? Well, he couldn't stay dead because he's God become man. And as God, he had the power to raise himself from the dead. But he also could not stay dead because God had already said that the Messiah, the Christ, would rise from the dead. And he demonstrates this by quoting from that psalm, Psalm 16, in verses 25 to 28 here in our reading. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and I'll make and you will make me full of gladness in your presence. 
Now, as Peter goes on to explain in verses 29 and 30 of our reading, David, who wrote that psalm, died. And his tomb was there in Jerusalem. If you were to break open that tomb, you'd have found the rotten body of David. You'd have found just bones and dust. So David, Peter says, what was happening was that although that, that this psalm can't be talking about David, so who's it speaking about? It's talking about the Messiah, the Christ. And as he says in verse 30, being there for a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He could not stay dead because God had said in his word in the Old Testament that he would raise the Christ from the dead. And God does not lie. Therefore, he could not stay dead. And then David, then Peter then goes on to quote from another psalm, another messianic psalm, this time Psalm 110. If you look down to verse 34 now, it says, For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So there's another messianic psalm. Again, it can't be David that this is talking about because it says, the Lord, God, said, David says, he said to my Lord, who is David's Lord that's being addressed here? Well, it's the Christ. So God the Father said to the Christ, the Messiah, Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. But that could never have happened if he'd stayed in the grave. He had to be raised from the dead in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And so he had to rise from the dead. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jesus was raised from the dead because we know that it's true because witnesses saw him raised from the dead. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses. When he says we are all witnesses, who's he talking about? Well, remember, there were 120 people in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came. He says we are all witnesses. There were the 12 apostles. There were the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene and other, other women who were there in the upper room. But also we know from what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one point Jesus appeared to over 500 believers. 
the same time. And so we can be confident that all 120 of those people who were there in the upper room had all seen Christ. Peter could say, you can go to any one of us here and we'll all tell you the same story. We've seen Jesus with our own eyes raised from the dead. Now you could get one madman possibly get two deluded people 120 mad people who've all seen the same delusion I don't think so it doesn't happen does it they've all seen Jesus not only have they seen Jesus they have all, or many of them, have felt Jesus after he was raised from them. They grabbed hold of him. They touched him. They put their hands, their fingers, into the holes and the scars of his hands. They, they touched, they put their, 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 their fingers into the, into the hole in his side where the spear had gone. They heard him speak to them. They watched him eat bread and eat fish. Now these witnesses were reliable witnesses. These there's nothing in any of the gospels that we have, the accounts that we have, that gives us any reason whatsoever to think that any of these witnesses was unreliable. On the contrary, there's every reason to believe that what they said was true because they had nothing to gain by lying about Jesus being raised from the dead. And they had everything to lose because it was illegal to say that Jesus has been raised from the dead. By saying that Jesus was raised from the dead, they were risking their own lives. And that what happened to Jesus could happen to them. So that's the second thing. Third thing, which demonstrates that Jesus has been raised from the dead is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. See, Peter says to them in verse 33, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, this great crowd, they've seen with their own eyes tongues of fire come down from heaven and rest upon the heads of the 120 disciples in the upper room. They've heard with their own ears 
the sound of a rushing wind like a tornado as the Holy Spirit came down. They've heard with their own ears the 120 who are in that upper room speaking the wonders of God in other human languages that they've never been taught. Other human languages from all over the world. By the way, this shows us that the gift of tongues of the Bible is different from what people call the gift of tongues today. Because today people claim to have the gift of tongues and they speak a whole load of unintelligible syllables one after the other. But when these people heard the, the gift of tongues, which means languages, they heard... One was from one part of the Roman Empire, another was another Roman from Persia, all sorts of different places. They heard these people who'd never been instructed in these other languages speaking in these other human languages the wonders of God. It'd be like if somebody here was to suddenly, you know, say in you'd never heard never knew Saleti, never heard Saleti in their whole life before, suddenly start speaking in Saleti about Jesus. Or somebody else starts speaking in, in Mandarin Chinese, but they've never learned Mandarin Chinese. They've never done a word of Mandarin Chinese. But suddenly they're speaking in Mandarin Chinese, perfect, perfectly explaining the, 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 the works of Jesus. That's the sort of thing that happened. And that's why it was a miracle. Because anybody can go blah de blah de blah de blah and say a load of syllables. That's not a miracle, is it? But to speak in other languages that you've never learned, that's a miracle. That's a sign. And Peter says to them, look, you can see and hear with your own eyes that the Holy Spirit has come. And that is evidence that Jesus has been raised from the dead and having been raised from the dead is now in heaven. And from heaven, he has poured out this gift of the Holy Spirit. Just hear again that verse. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that which you yourselves are seeing and hearing. You see, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, there would have been no outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost. No resurrection, no Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit? Then that must mean there's been the resurrection. There could not have been the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost but for the outpouring, but for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There's one more proof of the resurrection. There's not stated by Peter, but everybody hearing Peter will have known about it, which is this, Peter's own transformation. You see, he says to the very people who had crucified Jesus, he says to them, let all, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him 
both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you have crucified. Now, who is saying those words? The person who's saying those words is the man who just 50 days earlier quaked in his boots when some little slave girl said to him, were you, with, you were with Jesus, weren't you? No, 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 never, never, not me, not me, not me. He swore and cursed at him. Three times he denied. Out of fear. And now he's boldly standing up in front of the very people who crucified Jesus and saying, you did it. You crucified him. The Lord, the one you crucified is Lord and Christ. How's he got the bottle to do that? The only explanation is that Peter had seen the Lord and had himself received the Holy Spirit. You cannot explain it any other way. So here are these four evidences of the resurrection which come out from this passage, from, from what Peter says here. Now, let me bring out three implications now for us. Three implications. First is this. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that means that you and I definitely are going to stand before him to be judged. There's no question at all. That is going to happen. You see what he says there. Again, let me read that verse again. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you have crucified. Now, when it says he's made him Lord, it doesn't mean that he became Lord where he wasn't Lord before. He's always the Lord. But what it's saying is he has shown him to be the Lord. He, God, God the Father has shown and demonstrated that this one who died is none other than the eternal Son of God. Not created, but the eternal Son of God. You see, by calling him Lord, he's using the word for God. When the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek, when they came across the word Yahweh or Jehovah, the the, 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 the 70 men who translated the, 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 the Hebrew to Greek used the word kurios, which is Lord. So by saying that Jesus is Lord, he's saying Jesus is Jehovah. He is God. And what's more, by raising Jesus from the dead, God, God the Father was saying about Jesus that what he said is true. And Jesus himself again and again and again said that he would be the one who would judge the world. So, for example, um, 
Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, if we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's Jesus who's going to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And it will be on the basis of whether those people have known Jesus. Same thing, Matthew 25 what's sometimes called the parable of the sheep of the goats. It's not actually a parable. It's a prophecy of when he comes again. And he says, that he says, Matthew 25 and verse, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit. On his glorious throne. Who's the son of man? It's Jesus. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from the other. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will decide. This one's a, a sheep. That one's a goat. And he will tell the goats. To go to the place. Which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And he will say to the sheep. Come you who are blessed. By my father. uh, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Jesus will decide, and he'll decide on the basis of whether people have known and loved him as shown by the way in which they've treated the least of his brothers. So the significance for you and for me is that each one of us is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What is Jesus going to say to you when you appear before him? Or turn that around. What are you going to say to him? What excuses are you going to pull out the hat or try to pull out the hat for your rebellion and for your sin? How will you be able to stand when your sins are exposed before Jesus and before the whole world? What will you do? Where will you cover your shame on that day when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ? We must all think about this. Each one of us must appear before him. There's no escaping it. And that's why you see these people were so cut to the heart. Because they knew that they had crucified the Lord of glory. But as we saw last time, actually, you and I have crucified the Lord of glory. Or we would have done if he'd had our chance. Because we hate God just like these people hated God. So we see then that this passage shows us that, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Secondly, this passage shows us that if we repent and trust in Jesus, we can be saved. Because if we read in verse 
to 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's good news because by raising Jesus from the dead, God the Father was saying that he accepts the sacrifice that he made on that cross. And that means that if you will repent, if you will turn from your sins, if you will leave your sins, and if you will put your trust in Jesus, then you will be saved. You will not go to hell. You might have lived a terrible life up to now. Or you might have lived a very, apparently, very good life. It makes no difference. If you trust in Jesus, the promise is you'll be saved. Because that resurrection of Jesus from the dead shows that God has accepted his sacrifice. Third implication is this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, each one of us, if we trust in him, can receive the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in verse, end of verse 38 and on to verse 39. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, that is the promise of salvation, the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you ever say to yourself, I wish I, wish I wasn't the person I am. I wish I didn't do these terrible sins that I do. Maybe there's a terrible habit of drunkenness or a habit of taking drugs or a habit of being sexually immoral, lying, stealing, whatever it is, you've got these habits, you just can't break them, you cannot, you wish you were different, but you can't change, you feel like you can't change. Here is good news. You can be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can come and live inside you. And your life can be transformed if you'll come to him. See, God doesn't just forgive sins. He does. He does but he doesn't just forgive sins. He also delivers from the power of sin. That spirit that came down on Pentecost is available to you and to me today if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. So what we've seen this morning is that the resurrection is a fact. It's a fact because it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It's a fact because witnesses saw Jesus. It's a fact because of the gift of the Holy Spirit And it's a fact because of the transformation of Peter, the apostle. 
And we've seen the implications for us. Number one, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Number two, we can be forgiven. And number three, we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now it says there, at the end there, it says, with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And I want to just say to you, in these last few moments that remain, I beg of you, come to Christ. What have you got to lose by coming to Christ? Your friends? Well, your friends won't save you from hell, will they? Your money? Well, that's all going to disappear when you die anyway. Your respectability? Well, what good is respectability if you're not in favor with God? You've got nothing of any value to lose by becoming a Christian, but you've got everything to gain. The knowledge of God, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, power to live a new life, purpose for your life, being part of the family of God, everything to gain, nothing to lose, nothing of any value to lose. So come to Christ. And I plead with you, don't put it off. You might say, well, one day I'll become a Christian. Don't put it off. You don't know when you're going to die. You could die tomorrow. You don't know when Jesus is going to come back. Jesus might come back tonight. What will happen to you if Jesus comes back tonight or if you die tomorrow? What will happen to you if you're not saved? You'll go to a place of torment in Hades and then you'll suffer. At the resurrection you'll be raised and you go off to suffer torment in hell forever and ever. Do you really want to go to hell? Why? Why would you choose hell when God is offering you life? Peter says there, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You can save yourself in the sense that you can come to Jesus and you can say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, please save me. And if you do that with all your heart, you will be saved. So save yourself. If you were in a fire and somebody said, fire, fire, get out of the house, what would you do? You'd save yourself, you'd run out of the house. Of course you would. But now there's something more dangerous than fire, than than human fire. There's the fire of hell. And God says, save yourself. What are you going to do? You say, oh, go back to sleep. No. Save yourself. Come to Christ. That you may be saved. Well, we'll stop there. And uh, I'll give an opportunity for a moment to, um, for us to pray quietly. I, I just hope and pray that there will be some amongst us here who will come to Jesus for salvation. If you're already belonging to the Lord, then give thanks to the Lord for his salvation and ask him to let let you know more of his resurrection power. We'll, We'll just have a few moments of quiet and then we'll sing our last.
him. So let's do, I would encourage you to take this opportunity to seek the Lord now.